We thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to come together and, Lord, just to, um, to worship you and, and, Lord, just to fall in love with you in a much deeper way, Lord. And we thank you for your love for us. And I pray, Lord, that you would just speak to our hearts. And I trust that our hearts are ready to receive the very seed of your word. And we thank you for the precious, pure time of worship. I bless our time together. I decrease that you would increase. I am to myself of myself. So fill me with yourself. Everything that I say and do, every thought that enters my mind would be of you and not of me. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Right. First of all, I want to apologize. There is no multimedia up there, so you're going to have to follow me, all right, because some of you say, well, you go really fast, but okay, so um, just I'll do my best to kind of just repeat the verses as we go uh, through the passage, okay? Yeah? All right. So it's 2 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 11 through 21 is today's text. Again, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Verses 11 through 21, we're now in part 17 of our series, From the Heart. Say, From the Heart. And we're going to obviously uh, finish this chapter. And then next Sunday, we're going to finish cha- do all chapter 13 and finish the whole series. Yeah? All right. So, And always, before we even dive into the text, I, I want to do a quick review from verses 1 through 10 of, of this chapter. And I gave you three points. You might remember those points. And uh, the, point, the first point of that text, verses 1 through 10, was the vision. Remember that? Say the vision. And that's in verses 1 through 6. And Paul, he caught a glimpse of heaven, a paradise, paradisos. And, and there he heard divine, the divine secrets that are shared only in heaven. And I want you to look at verses 5 through 6 with me real quick, because I love Paul's attitude. And he says, I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses, say weaknesses. And I love the fact that Paul limited his boasting to his weaknesses. He did boast, but he boasted about his what? Weaknesses. Verse 6, even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. So Paul, what he's doing here, remember this, he's implying here that there is a whole lot more he could have said about his experience uh, being caught up in heaven if he was able to. Uh, able and about his defense of his apostleship if he wanted to, but he didn't do that. He didn't do that. He didn't want anyone to think more highly of him than what they actually saw in his life and also in his message. The second point was the vexation. Say that. Vexation, another word for frustration or displeasure. He had a thorn on his side, right? It caused frustration, and displeasure, and that's in verse 7. And God, we know this, God allowed, say allowed, allowed this thorn, this sickness to keep Paul from getting full of pride, from getting full of pride, and the thorn kept Paul humble. The third point was the victory. Say that. That's in verses 8 through 10. And three times, three times Paul pleaded with the Lord to take this thorn away from him, and God's answer was what? No, no, no. Three times, Right, Paul said, take it away three times. God says, no. And we know that sometimes when it comes to healing, sometimes God says no. Are you guys with me? But God didn't just say no to, to Paul, leave it at that. He gave Paul a very important promise. In fact, friends, a, a very important promise to every single believer who's, who's suffering. So let's read on. He says, but he said to me, my grace is what? Sufficient for you. That means that we don't have to ask him for sufficiency of grace. It's already operational in our lives if we are willing to lay hold of it. Well, here's how we lay hold of it. 
For my power is made perfect in what? Weakness. And you see, Paul's weakness, uh, in Paul's weakness, excuse me, in Paul's weakness, the grace of God enabled and empowered and sustained Paul in an amazing way to do things that otherwise Paul would not have been able to do. So I want you to follow me here, okay? The best way for God's power, strength, and grace to be operational in Paul's life is for him to be kept in a place of weakness, of weakness. Say that. And that's the same for us as well. Then Paul then goes on to say, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Why? This is why. So that Christ's power may rest on me. Someone say amen. And so the idea here is Christ's power is is continually increased as weakness grows. Got it? And then in verse 10, Paul says, this is why for Christ's sake. Whose sake? Christ's sake, not Paul's sake, Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults and hardships and persecution and difficulties. For when I am weak, love this, for when I am weak, then I am what? Strong. So Paul knew, friends, that in order to activate the flow of God's power in his life, he had to first embrace his own weakness. Got that? He had to embrace his own weakness and then present himself before God, listen now, as an empty what? Vessel. Got it? So this now brings us to today's text. The title of my message today is A True Servant. Everyone say that. And we see Paul's heart here. We know that Paul is a true servant of God, right? Three points from the text. If you're ready, say yes. Number one is the reminder. Write that down. Say that. The reminder. And here what we see is Paul, he reminds the Corinthian believers that his previous miracles performed among them demonstrate that he is actually a true apostle. He's a true apostle. Let's go to verse 11. Verse 11, I have made a fool of myself, but you drove me to it. I ought to have been commended by you, for I am not in the least inferior to the who? The super apostles, referring to these false apostles. Now, let's stop there. Paul's saying that he never should have had to stoop to this level of foolishness to defend himself, but he was forced to. Didn't want to boast, but he, he did. He was forced to. And you see, he only resorted to this approach because it was the only way that he could make his point to the Corinthian believers that uh, he was, in fact, a true apostle of Jesus Christ. Now listen, the very fact that there were Christians and, and a Corinthian church in Corinth was due to Paul coming and what? Preaching, right? The gospel in that region was due to the fact that he was a a true apostle of Jesus Christ. And the Corinthian believers should have remembered and recognized that. And you see, it bothered Paul that the Corinthian believers doubted and and they questioned him and that they were listening to the false, these false apostles who he calls in a sarcastic way, super apostles. You know, they they ought to have given Paul high marks. The Corinthian believers ought ought to have given him high marks and resisted these false apostles. And by the way, Paul is not intimidated, nor is he inferior to these super apostles. I want to remind you what he said back in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, verses 5 through 6. You might remember this, chapter 11, verses 5 through 6, where he says, But I do not think I am in the least inferior to those super apostles. I may not be a trained speaker, not eloquent, but I do have knowledge. Say knowledge. We have made it perfectly clear to you in every way. So Paul's like, I might, listen, I might be untrained in speech. I might not be eloquent, but I have knowledge. I have the knowledge of God, and I know what I'm talking about. They don't. 
Those false teachers, they preach a different Jesus, a different gospel, and a different spirit. Now, even though it's true that Paul has knowledge, and he does, right, he says that he does have knowledge. He admits that, he's actually, he, he, that he is actually nothing, nothing, say nothing. Let's read on the text, even though I am nothing. And that's not false humility. Paul really, really does mean it. So I want you to follow me here. Despite his high calling, Paul recognizes that he is nothing apart from Christ. Can I get an amen? In fact, we find Paul making a similar statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, where he writes, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. I love that. So here's the lesson. You ready for the lesson? Here's the lesson. Apart from Christ, I can do nothing. You and I can do nothing of eternal value apart from Christ. And Paul knew that. He acknowledged that. In fact, in John chapter 15, verse 5, write that down. John 15, verse 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do absolutely what? Nada, nothing, zip, zero. Got it? And you see, Paul recognized, and I love this about Paul. He recognized that everything he, that he has achieved was by the grace of God. He gives no credit to himself. Brings no attention to, to himself. His personal merit is not what brought him to the point where he is. It was the very work of Christ, of God in his life. And yet he does what he does. He, he recognizes that Christ has called him into the office of ministry. You guys with me so far? And so what he does is what he does, what Paul does, is he summarizes the qualifications of the office of an apostle. And here, I love what he does here. He gently reminds them of certain characteristics of his ministry that prove that he was a genuine apostle of Jesus Christ. In other words, worthy of being commended by the believers. Verse 12, verse 12. So he says here, the things that mark an apostle, and, he's, and these are the things that mark an apostle. Signs, say signs. Wonders, say wonders. The miracles, say miracles. Were done among you with great perseverance. Listen, the signs and, and wonders and miracles were to testify that what God was saying through Paul was true. I want you to notice, rather than writing, rather than Paul writing, I perform the signs of a true Apostle, he didn't say that. He says the marks of a true apostle were performed among you. And my point is this. Paul disowned any credit for the supernatural signs accompanying his ministry. They were God's doing, not his. Got it? Back to the text. Let's look at the text again. We're done among you with great perseverance. Say perseverance. It might be rendered there as patience. In the Greek, the word patience is hupomone. Say that. Hupomone, it literally means to stay under the pressure. It's, it's the idea of endurance instead of simply waiting. So in this text here, uh, perseverance, patience, literally means to stay under pressure. It's the idea of endurance instead of simply waiting. It's the idea of steadfast endurance in adversity. Sticking it out when the circumstances are tough. Constant strength under 
difficulty. And you see, Paul, what he did, he persevered in the face of suffering. As he served God, as he served God, right, he persevered in the face of suffering. In other words, what Paul did, Paul stuck it out. All the adversity he faced as he was serving God, he stuck it out. And that is the mark of a true apostle. That is the mark, I would say this, of a true servant. Yeah? If you're saved, say amen. The mark, follow me now, the mark of a Christian who has learned how to walk with God and serve in ministry stays under the pressure. Did you get that? In other words, they don't quit. They don't quit. They don't give up. They hang in there. Hey, is ministry easy? No. Serving God easy? No. But if we're true to God and true servants, we're going to hang in there. We're not going to quit. We're not going to give up. We're not going to throw in the towel. We're going to persevere. Say persevere. Hupamone. Verse 13, how were you inferior to the other churches except that I was never a burden to you? I want to stop there because the only way the Corinthian church was inferior to the other churches was the fact that Paul refused their financial support. Remember we talked about that? Listen, Paul had done everything, everything for these believers in Corinth for them except take their money. And you see, a true apostle had a right to that support. But Paul never took it. Paul refused to accept that support. And the Corinthian church made it seem like Paul was less of an apostle because he refused their support. And Paul's point is this. Hey, I'm no less of an apostle because I refuse your support. I have the right to it. He's, he knows that. But he says, I don't need it. Because he didn't want to be accused of doing it for money, as these false apostles did. In fact, Paul, he even sarcastically asked the church to forgive him for not taking their money. Look at the end of the text. Forgive me this wrong. <laughs> you know? So he reminds them, right? He reminds them the fact that he is a true apostle. Say reminder. Number two is the relationship. Say that. And here, Paul, what he does, he likens himself to a loving father and the Corinthian believers to unloving children, <laughs> right? We're going to see this. He's a loving father, but these, this church, this church is acting like unloving children. We parents know what that's like, don't we? <laughs> right. Verse 14, verse 14. Now, I am ready to visit you for the what? Third time. Say third time. I want to stop there, okay? On his first visit to Corinth, Paul founded the church and stayed 18 months. And you'll find that in Acts chapter 18, verse 11. Acts 18, verse 11. His second visit was a brief, painful visit of which happened during the three years in Ephesus. And you'll find that in Acts chapters 19 and chapter 20. Acts 19 and Acts chapter 20. Now he's prepared to come for a third time. Third time. Let's read on. And I will not be a burden to you. In other words, I will not be a financial burden to you guys, to them. And he would, he would pay his own way as he traveled to Corinth. Why? Why? Let's read on. Because what I want, I love this. You got to get this. Because what I want is not your possessions, but you. Do you get that? Paul's like, I'm not after your money. I'm not after your possessions. I'm after you. 
I'm after you. I'm seeking your souls, not your stuff. Oh, I love that. He wasn't consumed with what the church could do for him, but what he could do for the church. He wasn't focused on salary. He was focused on their souls. And you know what this is? This is, and listen, this is the testimony of every godly pastor, every godly leader, every godly minister, every godly shepherd. They don't serve for what they can get from God's people, but what, listen now, they can give to God's people. They're shepherds, not hirelings. And you see, people mattered more to Paul than material things. Are you guys with me? You know what this does? This lays down one of the supreme principles of Christian living. We are not here for personal recognition. We are not here for personal gain. We are here to share the gospel. We are here, listen now, to serve others. We are here to reach souls. And unfortunately, many churches have become so focused on the mechanics and money that they have forgotten about the ministry. They've forgotten about people. They have forgotten about souls. You're safe, say amen. We here at Cry Out, we here, listen, we here at Cry Out, we're here to reach people. We're here to reach people. And I'm not so much concerned with what people have to offer, but what they need. What they need. And that was Paul's heart. That's a true servant of God. Let's read on. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. You see what Paul does here, and I love this. He turns the table and says, I'm your spiritual father. You're my dependents. I want to be your spiritual support. And his affections were set on the Corinthians themselves rather than on what they owned or what they could give him materially or financially. Listen, as one who had led them to Christ and saw that their church was planted, Paul felt, listen now, a great parental love for the Corinthian believers. They were his children in the Lord. And he felt such a great parental love for them that it was his responsibility to care for them and to care, to care for them and to take care of them, not vice versa. That being said, we ought to consider the fact that we Christians have such a great, loving, heavenly Father. If you believe that, say amen. Listen, because we are his children, he only desires and does those things that he knows are the very best for us. That's what he does. And desiring to see that we grow up and that you and I mature, mature and grow up in the very image of his son, Jesus Christ. The Father loves you. We're his children, and he wants the best for you. He wants you to grow up, amen? Verse 15, so I will very gladly spend for you. Say spend. Got to get this, circle that word. So I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend, circle that, myself as well. I want to stop there. I will very gladly spend, when Paul says spend, he's talking about his own money. He's glad, he's glad to spend his own money to take care of his own needs. And, and, and then when he says, be spent or expand myself, he's talking about giving of himself. 
literally pouring himself out on their behalf. That's, that's a heavy statement. Think about that, right? I, I will very gladly spend for you everything and have what and have and, and expand myself as well. That's, that's a heavy statement. He's giving himself. And I want to remind you, as Paul's saying that, that I'm going to spend money on myself to get there. You don't got to give me any money. And I'm going to, listen, I'm going to pour myself on your behalf. You got to remember this. Remind you that Paul is writing to a church who have been believing the worst about him. They have been actively withholding their love from him. And Paul is willing to pour his life into their lives? Question, would you spend or expend yourself on behalf of those who withhold their love from you? Would you do that? Think about it. Would you do that? And you know, friends, the very, very few, let me say this, the very, very few are glad to give of themselves anymore nowadays, right? Because we live in a culture that is consumed with self. We live in an all-about-me age, an all-about-me culture. If there is something that, that will benefit us or benefit our agenda, then we're all for it. But if it involves giving of ourselves with nothing in return, then most people are not interested. True? True? Uh, yes, true? Yeah? Yeah? If you're safe, say amen. Listen, if our primary motive in serving, if our primary motive in helping others is to get something in return, such as recognition or appreciation or to be liked, then we shouldn't serve. We should. We shouldn't give to others. Now, I want to say this, and listen. There is nothing wrong with being recognized. There's nothing wrong with being appreciated, okay, or liked. But when this becomes the primary motive of why we do what we do, then it begins to dictate what we do. Are you with me? So let's read on. If I love you more, will you love me less? Paul reveals that the more he loves, listen, he reveals that the more that he loves, the less he is loved. The more that he gives, the less he receives. But despite the fact that the Corinthian believers were not returning Paul's love, he would continue, continue to work on their behalf. That's love. Say, that's love. And Paul's like this, I'm coming back. My third time, I'm coming back, and when I do, I'm going to spend myself on you. Wow. Again, these people were talking bad about Paul. I mean, he shepherded them, loved them. And he says, hey, I'm coming a third time, and when I come, I'm going to spend myself on you. I'm going to pour all of my love and effort on you. Would you say that? No, we wouldn't say that. We'd say, you know what? I'm not coming back. I'm not coming back. And guess what, friends? Okay, we would write them off. Right? Not Paul. Because that's love. You see, he had freely given, given his all. And yet, it's not returned to him. But that's okay. Say, that's okay. 
That's okay to Paul. And I'll tell you why. Because he was doing it unto the Lord. You got to get that. He knew that he, he would receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. And what Paul was just doing here, he's just practicing what he preaches. I want you to write this down, Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, because all that Paul is doing is practicing what he preaches. And this is what he says in Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, say whatever I do. He says, work at it with all your heart, with all your heart, all your effort, as working for who? The Lord. Not for human masters, since you know that you will receive, here we go, an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Do you get that? We're safe, say amen. We may feel, as believers, we may feel as if we have given our all. I mean, we poured our all, and yet there has been no return on our investment. We spent ourselves, listen now, we spent ourselves for people that don't even return thanks or love to us. But we must keep the faith. We must continue, learn from Paul, and continue to work as working for the Lord and that we will receive an inheritance, an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Our reward's with him. So here's a lesson. You ready? Here's a lesson. Keep your eyes, keep our eyes on God, not on man. Got it? On God, not man. On God, not man. And I want to tell you, friends, if our eyes are on man and the appreciation of man, then most likely we will get discouraged. Yeah? Some Christians even stop serving. And sadly, some break out of the fellowship completely because they didn't feel they were being appreciated, right, or recognized because their eyes were on men. We need to keep our eyes on God. Keep them on God and serve others unto Him. Our focus, listen now, should be on Him when serving and helping others, not on others. I want to say this. I want to say this. As we serve, as we help others, we should ask ourselves, why am I doing it? Why am I serving? Why am I helping this brother or this sister? Why am I serving in church? Am I doing it to be appreciated? Am I doing it to be recognized? Am I doing it to be liked? Am I doing it to be seen? Or am I doing it because I love Jesus and I love people? Huh? Doing it unto the Lord. Hey, how about this? Following the very heart of Jesus as in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28a. Matthew 20, verse 28a, where it says, Just as a son of man did not come to be served, but to what? To serve. To serve. And this is the heart of ministry. The heart of a Christian. It's this. It's giving ourselves to others. It's serving others. That's a true servant. Right? Saying that, and I just want to just thank God for those who serve behind the scenes. You guys see me every Sunday. You see Julian every Sunday, and, and those because we're up here. You see us. But I want to tell you, this would never happen if we didn't have behind the scenes those serving behind the scenes. They make it happen. What about our, our multimedia team and our live stream team? And, and what about the, 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 the ladies serving? And the men serving in children's ministry, you don't see them, but they're there serving. All those are doing behind the scenes. 
And they're doing it because what? They don't want recognition. They do it unto the Lord. Amen? I love that. Verses 16 through 19, stay with me. You stay with me, say amen. Be that as it may, I have not been a burden to you, yet crafty fellow that I am, I caught you by trickery. So I want to stop to what Paul's doing. Paul is being sarcastic here. Okay? He's being sarcastic here. He's possibly quoting his enemies, right, here. And I, I, would, I could almost imagine Paul saying, sure, you know, Paul won't take any support money from you guys. Okay, okay but, but he, you know, sure, Paul won't take any money, uh, support from you guys, but he will trick you by taking a collection that is supposed to be for the Jerusalem Christians and then put it in his own pocket. So Paul's being sarcastic here saying something that maybe the false teachers would say. Verse 17, did I exploit you through any of the men I sent you? I urged Titus, verse 18, I urged Titus to go to you and sent our brother with him. Titus did not exploit you, did he? Did we not act or walk in the same spirit and follow the same course? So Paul's like this, am I taking advantage of you guys? Did I or Titus take advantage of you? Did we not walk in the same steps? Hey, like neither I, neither I, nor Titus, nor anyone else I had sent to you had, listen, had made a buck off the church. And Paul, what he does, he models what he expects of others. He had been consistent, say consistent, in this policy. Verse 19, how have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? We have been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ. And everything we do, dear friends, there's another word there, beloved. Say beloved. I love that. It's for your, what? It's for your strengthening, to build you up. So he reveals his motive here. That's what he does. He reveals his motive. It's building up, not tearing down. Everything Paul did for the Corinthian believers, he did to build them up in Christ. Right? I mean, think about it, from every letter he wrote, from every message that he preached, from every exhortation that he gave, from every prayer that he prayed, right, was with one goal, and that was to build them up in Christ. Yeah? And you know what I want to tell you, friends? I hope you, you know that, that my heart, that the pastors here, that our hearts, teachers here, that our hearts is to build you up. And we preach the word of God to you, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And we preach it to you and, and we do Bible studies because we are here to build you up. Right? Every sermon or teaching that we do, every, every, every exhortation that we give you, every prayer that we pray for you, friend, this is now the goal is to build you up in Christ. I want to see you built up in Christ. I want to see you strong in Him. Amen? Because that's relationship. The reminder of the relationship number three is the regret. Say that. Write that down. I want you to look at verses 20 through 21. The regret, 20 through 21. Paul says, for I am afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. Don't stop there. What he's doing, he's confess, he confesses fear that finding them in sinful patterns of behavior will be humiliating for him and also for them before God and before one another. 
And then what Paul does, notice what he does. He then lists 11 sinful practices that he hoped he would not find the church on his next visit to Corinth. Now, I want you to get this. Collectively, these sins that we're going to talk about right now, just briefly, can destroy any family, can destroy any relationship, can destroy any church community. You guys with me? You guys with me? Notice he first lists the sins of the heart and tongue, of the heart and tongue. He says, I fear that there may be quarreling, strife, quarreling, strife. And then he says, jealousy, zeal for one's own good at the expense of somebody else. Then he says, outburst of anger, those with short fuses, blow up. Then he says factions, which also could be rendered as disputes, creating factions and disputes among the church. Then he says slander, which is verbal attacks. Then he says gossip, talking about someone behind the back. Then he says arrogance, in other words, being puffed up, thinking you know everything, unteachable. And then he says disorder, which, interesting, is the result of these sins I just listed to you. When you do these things, then it creates disorder in the church, disorder in the family, disorder in any relationship. And then, listen, so he just lists sins of the heart and tongue, and then what he does, he gives a list of the sins of the body. Okay, so listen up, listen up. Verse 21, I'm afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you, and I will be grieved, grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of what? Impurity. Same purity. That means moral uncleanness. In other words, anything that would make us unfit to be in God's presence. Then he says, sexual sin. Sexual sin. Got it? That's where we get the Greek word pornea. That's where we get our English word pornography. Are you guys with me? It refers to specific sins, sexual sins, excuse me, sexual sins that include fornication, which is sex outside of marriage, includes adultery, bestiality, prostitution, and homosexuality. And then he says, and debauchery, which is excessive indulgence in sensual pleasures, in which they, speaking of those in the church there, some of them have indulged. And so what Paul does, Paul falls on his face in grief. And Paul, as their shepherd, as a spiritual father, he's ashamed and humiliated by their lack of moral discipline. Now we, listen, he, Paul, already dealt with these fleshly sins back in 1 Corinthians chapters 5-7. through We covered that in our other series, Undivided. But apparently some of them were still permitting the old life, the old life, to take over. And what happened, they had forgotten what God had delivered them from and how they had been transformed. And they were no longer yielding to the new life in Christ, but to the old life. And Paul's like, Paul's like, Paul's like, don't go back where you came from. Don't do that. Don't forget the transforming work of Christ what he's done in your lives. Paul's like, gosh, you guys, come on. 
We dealt with these sins. We dealt with this issue. Don't go back to that. So here's a lesson. You ready for the lesson? Keep Jesus on the throne. Say that. Keep Jesus on the throne. Listen, when we came to salvation, if you're saved, say amen. When we came to salvation, at that moment, we let Jesus on the throne of our lives, right? Jesus, you're now on the throne of our lives. However, from, listen, from that moment on, it's a moment-by-moment choice. Say choice. That we make to submit to him and allow him to reign on that throne of our life. It's a choice. This is why we must always be careful to keep the flesh in check. Keep the old person in check. If you're safe, say amen. When our behavior reveals the works of the flesh, that's when we need to realize that we're on the throne of our lives and need to re-surrender the throne to Jesus. Whenever we're walking in the flesh, we need to get off the throne and let Jesus assume, as he should, that throne in our lives. Because that old man, that old woman will show up and try to take over and put self on the throne. And daily, you gotta, that's a battle. you got to make a choice daily to crucify the old nature and cultivate the new nature. Well, how do you cultivate the new nature? By reading God's Word, being in prayer, being accountable, staying close to Him. What happened was they took Jesus off the throne and put themselves on the throne. Last lesson, and we're going to wrap it up here, okay? You ready for the last lesson? Repent. Repent. Say that. The word repent in the Greek is the word metanoia. Say metanoia. It means a change of mind, a change of action. Got it? It's more than just feeling regret. Regret is not repentance. It's more than a feeling of regret. It means to about face. It means to make a strong turn around toward a new course of action. Get that? So I don't know. I mean, sometimes we just, you know, we just really don't repent. But we got to stop and think about, is the flesh taking over? And if it is, if I'm allowing these sins or sin to overtake my life and, and put myself on the throne, then I need to repent. About face. Have a change of mind, a change of action, and turn from that to him. Take myself off the throne and put him on the throne. Amen? And that was Paul's heart. And you just wait till next week. Because Paul's going to say this. Examine yourself. Amen? Father, we thank you, Lord.